Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We're going to continue through the book of Romans this morning, but I do want to give a little bit of an introduction, and I want to congratulate you um, if you've been making it to this, uh, making it through this journey of the book of Romans, after today's message, we are going to be halfway through the book of Romans. And so, yeah, I got one, woo. I got a couple of, and so we've spent, I believe, 19 weeks in Romans and, um, and really we barely scratched the surface of the book, to be honest. Um, God's word is so glorious, so treacherous, uh, so full of value. But um, yes, 19 weeks, eight chapters, and, uh, and we are really just scratching the surface. But I'm so excited about that. And um, so I just kind of want to catch us up since we're at the halfway point. And then I want to kind of move into this morning's text. And so um, up to this point in the first seven and a half chapters or so, Paul has kind of been laboring to unpack what does it mean to be saved? Uh, um, when somebody says, you know, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Like, what does that really mean? And so Paul has been unpacking what it means to be saved. And along the way, he's given us a couple of theological terms uh, to help kind of summarize the complexities of our salvation. Now, our salvation in Christ is so complex and so deep and so vast, um, really you can't summarize it. Uh, and, and in fact, we won't even be able to understand it completely until we're in the presence of God. But there are some terms that help us kind of comprehend a little bit about what Christ has done for us. And I just want to, by way of a recap, I want to go over those terms with you. And then it'll kind of help us jump into um, this particular portion of Romans this morning. And so the first term, if you've been with us throughout this journey, um, the first term is justification. Justification. So let me just kind of tell you what... Uh, the term justification means justification is a legal term um, that describes a change in status from unrighteous to righteous. So to be justified is to, uh, is to have a, a change of status to go from unrighteous to righteous. Now, this change of status is not based on anything you can do. Because no one in this room is righteous. No one in this room is without sin. We are all guilty as charged. In fact, Paul spends the first couple of chapters of Romans telling you, you are guilty and there's nothing you can do about it. And so this change of status from unrighteous to righteous is not based on anything you and I can do, but it's only based on what Christ has done on the cross. Are you with me? So justification, when describing our salvation, justification is immediate. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus takes all of God's wrath from you and gives all of his righteousness to you. That's what justification is. The moment you say yes and you put your faith, trust, and hope in Jesus, he takes from you the wrath that you deserve. And he gives to you the right, his righteousness that you don't deserve. And in that moment, instantaneously, and you might be the worst sinner in the world. 
You might be saying, Philip, you don't know what I do in my past. But by faith, guess what? It's not by your own work, but Jesus' perfection is given to you and you are justified. And you are declared legally in the court of the law, the law of heaven, not guilty. That's justification, but it doesn't stop there. There's another portion of our salvation. It's called sanctification. Sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the process by which we are growing in holiness. It's a journey that takes us further from sin and closer to Jesus. That's what sanctification is. Now, this is really important. While justification is immediate, sanctification is striving to be what Christ has already made you to be in him. You hear me? So sanctification is a process by which I am growing into holiness. While justification is immediate, sanctification is a lifelong journey in us striving to be what Christ has already made us righteous, but in him. Are you with me? And finally, a third term that I think encapsulates salvation is glorification. So you have justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, glorification refers to that future time, that future glory that has not yet taken place, right? It refers to that future perfection when all of creation, including you and I, will be totally, guess what, freed from sin. There's coming a day, there's coming a time where you don't got to fight this old nasty flesh anymore. There's coming a day, there's coming a time where you can enter into true Sabbath, true rest from wrestling with that thing inside of you that is always wanting to break the law of God. That will be a day of glory, glorification. It has not happened yet, but it will come. Are you with me? So let's just condense all of this together. Here's a simple way to make sense of these terms. Justification, if you're taking notes, this, is, this might be very helpful. Justification is freedom from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. And glorification is freedom from the presence of sin. Are you with me? So when I put my faith in Christ, guess what? I am immediately freed from the penalty of sin. The wrath of God no longer is upon me, and heaven is my destination. So justification is freed from the penalty of sin, but then I am walking it out in sanctification, and sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. And as I walk this life out in Christ, this sin that used to dominate me no longer dominates. I begin to have power over what used to bully me. Now in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I bully it, right? But the thing is, sin doesn't completely leave because we all made a sin nature, but we are growing in sanctification so we are freed from the penalty of sin immediate gradually we are being freed from the power of sin and ultimately we will be freed from the what presence of sin there is coming a time where everything will be made new sin will no longer have a dominion over the earth over creation and over you and i that beautiful now now that paul has spent the better part of seven chapters defining what it means to be saved he's now going to turn his attention towards answering the question how do you know you're saved um kind of funny story uh if you haven't been born and raised in church you could just laugh at us okay 
I was born and raised in church. So if you have been, you're probably, oh, here we go, right? So if you haven't, just laugh at us. If you have, right? So uh, <laughs> you ever like the pastor's preaching and then it gets to the very end and everyone close your eyes and bow your head, right? And then he repeat, repeat the sinner's prayer. And if you say this prayer, you're saved, right? And like, you ever said it like every Sunday? Like, you say that thing every Sunday, right? Like, because I'm not quite sure I'm saved this week. And so you just get re-saved every week. Or maybe you were in youth camp or whatever. And then maybe you had that one friend that always answered the salvation call. Like, they went to the altar every week. Right? Some of you aren't laughing because that was you. And that's okay. But, but the idea was is that, you know, and who knows? Maybe, like, you were afraid. Like, man, I was saved last week. But you know what I did this week? I need to keep going back here. But, but we, we look, we, we're so insecure of who we are in Christ. We are so bound by insecurity and a lack of confidence that every week we walk around wondering, am I saved? I'm going to tell you what that insecurity does. It creates a works-based mentality. Now, we're going to get into that today, but I want, I want, what I want to do is I want, to, I want to answer the question, how do I know I'm saved? Now, this is, a, this is going to be an intense day because um, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you. I'm sorry about this. I'm going to call you into a sincere examination. And I've been praying for you, and I'm going to pray for you right now, but I want to tell you what my prayer is this morning. My prayer is this. Number one, if you are a follower of Christ, I pray that today would encourage you. I pray that today would reassure you that you belong to him. Secondly, if you're not a follower of Christ, and, and this is probably the most important thing, or if you have been walking around fooled, maybe you've been confessing and making a profession that today's message would wake you up and invite you to truly place your faith and trust wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ. Now, I get it could be difficult for some of us, but I'd rather you hear it now because the scripture tells us that one day we'll all stand before the Lord and there will be some that'll come before him and he'll say, I never knew you. And they'll say, but I, did, I served on teams. I, I went to this church. I helped plant this church. I did this. I did that. And listen, I never knew you. Depart from me. And as your pastor, as a shepherd, I, and as a, as a church that is dedicated to the truth of the gospel, uh, this, this is so important for us to know. Amen. So feel what the Spirit wants to do. And so, Heavenly Father, we love you. And we know that you, you do all things for our good. So I just pray that you would touch our hearts, touch our minds. I pray that you would touch my lips, touch my, touch my mind and my heart. Help me to communicate your gospel with love clearly. And I just pray that you would open the hearts and minds of those that are in this room today for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read uh, verses 12 through 17 today. Romans chapter 8, 12 through 17. And if you have your Bible apps, totally okay for you to go to your phones, I understand. Romans chapter 8, 12 through 17. Let me read the scriptures to you. Scripture says this, the Apostle Paul writes, so then, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death 
the deeds of the body, you will live. And this is a key phrase right here. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. You see that? Highlight that. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you received the spirit of adoption as sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs to God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be, there's one of our words, glorified with him. Amen? What a precious picture of what God has done for those who believe. If you place your faith in Jesus... God has adopted you and called you his child. If you place your faith in Jesus, God has adopted you and called you his child. But like many who are adopted into loving families, fears and insecurities inevitably arise. Right? And, and so maybe some of you in here have experienced adoption. Maybe you fostered care. Maybe you yourself were adopted. You can understand it. Sometimes these children, they go through so much. And they get into a loving home, and they get into a home that is healthy, loving them in a great way. And all of a sudden, fears and insecurities arise, and questions become to come, begin to pop up. And that is the same thing for us. Insecurities arise, questions like, do I belong? Is this permanent? Am I really family? These things can haunt a child struggling to freely receive their adoption. So in an effort to assure us, Paul tells us in verse 14 how we can be sure we're God's children. How we can be sure we're saved. He says this in verse 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In other words, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you is your guarantee that you're saved. If you want to know if you're truly saved, if you want to know if you're truly a child of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you is the witness declaring that you are God's. He is your guarantee. So for the rest of our time together, I want to unpack four marks that help indicate that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. How do I know that the Spirit is living in me? If the way to know that I'm saved is by telling whether the Spirit of God is living inside of me or not, then how do I know that? How do I know that? And so the first mark is conviction, the presence of conviction. An evidence that the Spirit of God is living in you is the presence of conviction. I want you to ask yourself, do I regularly experience godly sorrow over my sin? Do I regularly experience godly sorrow, not just over my sin, but sin in general? John 16, 8 says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He says he, and Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, I want you to notice them. I realize that sorrow is counterintuitive, isn't it? Like we spend our whole lives avoiding sorrow. 
Yet the Holy Spirit in us compels us to embrace this kind of godly grief as a gift. Now, this is going to be so critical here. As Christians, as believers, sometimes um, we get a little confused. And so we need to learn the difference between conviction and condemnation. We need to learn that how do I know this is conviction and how do I know this is condemnation? I'm going to just give you a few points to help you understand the difference between the two. How do I know it's the Holy Spirit convicting me? Well, first and foremost, the origins of the two are different. Conviction is from the Spirit of God. Condemnation is from Satan, who's called, watch, the accuser of the saints. Number two, I want you to see this. Conviction causes a hatred for sin. Condemnation causes a hatred for yourself. You hear that? Number three, although both can cause a grief, godly sorrow, listen, leads us joyfully back to Jesus. Godly sorrow leads us joyfully back to the cross. Godly grief over your sin doesn't just leave you stranded, but it causes you to look to the gospel. It causes you to look to Jesus. It causes you to gaze again. It causes you to say, you know what? I've been looking at something else, but I need to turn. I need to repent, and I need to look back at the cross. Godly grief and godly sorrow is beautiful because in it, it joyfully beckons you back to Christ. Are you with me? While satanic condemnation causes you to quit. Quit. Give up. It's not working. Now, as followers of Christ, it's critical we learn to freely receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to freely receive grief and sorrow over your sin don't repress it don't run away from it but to allow the spirit to convict you so that you can look beautifully at the cross and that gaze at the cross that passion for the cross that love for the cross will begin to beckon you further and closer to jesus and further away from sin we need to learn to freely receive conviction and stubbornly reject condemnation. Mark number two. Another evidence that the Spirit of God is living inside of you is illumination. Illumination of the Scripture. Here's a way that we can ask yourself practically. Am I passionate about God's Word? Am I growing in God's Word? Am I growing in understanding in God's word? Am I growing in joy for God's word? Am I passionate about God's word? And I'm going to give you a little bit of my story. I was born and raised in, in a house that loved Jesus. Thank you, mom and dad. Amen. So that's my mom. So God's word was everywhere. Everywhere. We had about 20 Bibles. Uh, a Bible for every room. Uh, a library full of commentaries on the Bible. And then commentaries on the commentaries about the commentator that's commentating about the Bible. My dad even had these weird Bible comic books. Remember those? Right? Like, sorry, really? There's co- yes, weird ones. We had pictures on the wall of the Bible. <laughs> in fact, if you go in my wall right now, you'll see Jesus teaching everybody in the temple. Right? 
You just, it's a Sunday school class. You walk down the hallway. <laughs> right? And at church, we were at church. We were at church. I always say this. We were at church. We were at church. Eight days a week, 25 hours a day. We were there. And uh, it was preached. It was preached Sunday morning. It was pre- the word was preached Sunday night. It was taught in Sunday school, VBS, camps. We played Bible trivia. We memorized verses. By the time I was 21, I must have heard over a thousand sermons. Here's the key, though. Although I had been regularly exposed to it, the Holy Spirit had yet to truly bring it to life in me. That's the difference between illumination. Illumination is not just reading the Bible, but when you're reading it, the Bible begins to come alive, and it begins to pierce and speak to the hearts. God's word, listen, carried a cultural value to me. It carried a familial value to me. This is my family did this, and we, we gather around it, so I had a type of love for his word for that reason, but it didn't carry any significant weight to me personally. But one night, one night in my early 20s, as I humbly cried out to God, guess what? Illumination took place. The Spirit of God, and I can't explain it because if I explain it, it's no longer a mystery. I can't explain it. But the Spirit of God, and here's the word, opened my eyes. Illumination, right? Some of you think thinking Illuminati. Opened my eyes. And in tears, listen, I began to read this book that I had routinely heard over and over my entire life. But it became alive as if it was written just for me. And I remember during that time, I remember a quote that struck me. And I read this quote when I was in that season of my life. And it said, the Bible is the only book when you open it, the author is in the room with you. I knew in that moment that the spirit of God was living in me when the scriptures began to, ready, regularly love me, rebuke me expose me and lead me back to Jesus. This was something that only the Holy Spirit could do inside of me. No one else. You know, it doesn't matter how great the preacher is. It doesn't matter how much it makes you fit. Only the Holy Spirit can really take that word. Like we come here every Sunday and I can give you a great, oh, Pastor Phil is a great sermon, but unless that word was settled in your heart and impacts the way that you are walking out of here, the reality is it's just a Sunday morning club. Only the Holy Spirit can do. I can't. The greatest orators in the world, they can move you, but they can't transform you. I knew. I knew the Spirit of God was living in me when the Scripture began to love me, rebuke me, expose me, lead me back to Jesus. Now watch this. If a conviction is hatred towards sin, then illumination is a love for God's Word. I'm going to ask you right now, are those two elements active in your life? Sure, we go through some ebbs and flows as Christian, don't we? And here's what I don't want you to do. Don't get really legalistic right now. Like, I got to download the Bible app now. You know what I mean? Like, after today. Now, those are, can I just say this? And I say this often. The Bible app is a beautiful grace and a beautiful tool that the Lord can use to transform your life. But that tool only is a work if it's not motivated by the love of Christ. Right? How many of us, and I've been there, we've downloaded the Bible app, and we've, you, and you know I mean? You're just kind of reading, it's every day it's reminding you, and you're behind like 88 days now, right? <laughs> you start out good the first month, now you're behind 88 days, and now you're just like reading it whenever, because you're just trying to click it so you can get through it. And look, I, I, God bless you, and sometimes we just need to go, but I just, at what point do you stop and realize, okay, this, I got to get back to love. 
I got to get back to desire. How do I do that? Not by checking off what I read, but by sitting back, standing back, and beginning to look at the gospel again. I want, look, if love isn't compelling my Bible reading, then there's going to be no transformation. Are you with me? Conviction is hatred towards sin. And illumination is a love for God's word. Mark number three. Conviction and illumination move us toward sanctification. And we've gone, like I said, I'm so proud of this group. The last four or five weeks, we've hit sin directly. And we've gone through this idea of what God is doing in us, rooting things out, idolatry, confession, repentance, allowing the word to expose us and cut us. You guys have done so good. Um, Sanctification, I want you to think of it this way. Conviction is the help of the spirit revealing sin in our lives. Sanctification is the help of the spirit killing sin in our lives. Paul says in verse 13, if you live by the spirit, he says, you put to death the deeds of the body. Theologian John Owen said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you, right? And he wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. He wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. Now, let me give you kind of a, a, just a brief illustration so that you can see this. Um, two men were walking and they were talking about the presence of evil in their lives. Now, one man equated the presence of evil in his life to two dogs fighting inside of him. When the other man heard this, he asked, how do you know which dog is winning? And the man replied, the one that I feed the most. The one that I feed the most. So let me ask you a question. Which dog are you feeding and which dog are you starving If you're fighting sin, if you're mortifying sin, as a child of God, filled with the spirit of God, what steps are you committed to taking practically that is leading you to look more like Jesus and look further away from sin? That's discipleship. And you know what? The church is here to help. We're here to help. Some of us, some of us sometimes when people hold us accountable, we don't like the church, right? We get a little upset when the pastor holds us accountable or the preacher begins to hit on things that we're not doing in our lives right now. We don't like that. And I get it. No one wants to be, no one wants to be badgered, but I want you to know that, that the church is here to help and we're called, our mission is to inspire gospel-centered discipleship everywhere. And as long as you come to inspire, we are always going to proclaim the gospel and we're going to declare and, and inspire you to take your next steps in discipleship. And so the church puts, we have connects, we have Sunday morning, we have prayer, we have serve teams. It's so funny, even serving on a team, did you know serving on a team sanctifies you? Serving on a team, there's a commitment to the mission, to what God's trying to do. You're part of what God is doing, but also it's doing something. You're waking up early, it's doing something in you. you, you, I tell the team, this is your worship. Everyone thinks worship starts at 10 a.m. when the guitar. No, worship started at 7 a.m. when the men got up and went to the storage. 
Yeah, I know we like to hear that, but I want you to worship already started. When you walk through these doors, I want you to, we've been worshiping for two hours already. And again, and here's what I got to be careful. We're not a legalistic group. I get it. Some of you serve in other spaces. You can grow in other spaces. So I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on you. I'm just trying to say as a church, we are providing a space for you to grow in what God has called you to become, for you to be sanctified. You know, you might say, well, I don't, I don't like to go to connects or serve on teens because that brother annoys me. I want to tell you that is sanctification. If you never had to rub shoulders with somebody that annoys you, the fruit of the spirit would never be tested. How could you look like Jesus if you didn't have to forgive anyone? Some of y'all need to forgive in this room. Okay, I do too. I got to stick to my notes because sometimes I just go and I always got to pull back and just be careful, right? Like, cause, and I always got to look up because I don't want anyone to think I'm talking about them in particular, okay? Look, and maybe you are doing something to feed your spirit and starve the flesh, and, but, I, but, but there's just something about doing it alongside the body of Christ. I, I kind of want to go on a, a discipleship tangent for a minute, even though I feel like I just did that. Um, just to give you a discipleship thought here. Um, this is important. The primary way in which we know and walk in God's will is through illumination and sanctification. I mean, everyone in here wants to know, what's the will of God for my life? What is God's will for my life? Like, God, can you just make it clear? Can you just tell me and I'll do it? But I want you to know the primary way in which God reveals his will is through illumination and sanctification. Let me explain. Because I see some Christians at times using some misguided approaches when it comes to God's will. So I'm just going to drop this and that you can just wrestle with it on your own. Number one, we can make his will way too mystical. Let me explain what that means. Like, what does that mean? Like, we're always looking for a prophetic word. Right? Where's the prophet at? You know, go find the man or woman of God. I don't know if it happens as much now. But right back in the day, like, prophets would come to town. And then, like, the whole church would, like, go there. You know, everyone's sitting in front of us. Like, oh, man, I need a word. You know, my husband is getting on my nerves. Lord, just say something. You know, I need a new job. I need this. You know, you're, you're just kind of standing there. You just kind of, some of you shy away. I get it. Some of you are like, no, nah, I don't need no word. Right? But, but, you know, some of us just kind of inch to the front. Just like, you know, do you see me? And what we're looking for is we're looking for, like, the man or the woman of God or the prophet to come and stare at you in the eye and tell you what's next maybe I'm the only one right uh, and, and this this leads us to you know should I should I should I <laughs> should, should I date this guy <laughs> just tell me God you know it's like we use the church like a horoscope it's a Christian horoscope, right? I mean, you could either go to check Leo on the Sunday mornings or just go to church and someone will come and say, hey, you know, and I believe in the prop in prophecy. So please, please, I just think we sometimes we're too mystical about God's will. Right? God, should I go left or right? Right? I even knew somebody that would wake up, get in their cars. All right, God, I'm just going to drive, you know, wherever you take me. <laughs> you know, left. Okay. Right. Oh, guess what? I met somebody at the mall. You know, God, you did all this. It's like, well, there's people everywhere. You know what I mean? I know, I feel, yeah. I don't want to get stoned because this is a, prophecy is precious, guys. It's precious, it's precious, it's precious, it's precious. 
we are in a mixed group in here. There's probably someone in here who's Baptist. Like, no, nah, I don't believe in prophecy. Someone's Pentecostal. I'll prophesy over you right now, right? But, <laughs> but listen. <laughs> Everyone doesn't believe it until it happens to them, right? And they're like, oh, man. That was weird. Anyway, back to this. Again, tangents. But this leads us to, you know, we can make it too mystical. This leads us to um, our second misguided approach. We can make it too shallow, the will of God right? What job should I take? You know, where should I go? Should I, you know, is it Google or is it Facebook, God? You know, like which one? What job should I take? Do I move here? Do I move there? Is this person the one? Some of y'all is like, or is this person the one? God's all, none of them. And you ain't the one either. All right. All right. No, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Please, please, please. De- You know, as an orator, I like to go hard on something, but I'm going to retract. Don't get me wrong. These are all valid questions worth praying for. Of course you want to pray, God. You know, I'm moving my family where? Of course you want to pray. Is this the person for me? Like, I don't get me wrong. But sometimes we can make it too mystical. Sometimes we can make it too shallow. And I want you to get this. God's will is not so much a place as it is a posture. God's will is not... First, a task to be accomplished, but a person to be reflected. Jesus Christ. Here's the key. What God wants to do on the outside only partners with what is on the inside, what he's primarily doing on the inside. This is where illumination, understanding the scripture, and sanctification, applying the scripture is primary. Listen, God's will for your life is always this, growing in holiness mortifying sin and looking like Jesus wherever you go and whoever you're with you want to know God's will you ready here it is growing in holiness mortifying your sin and looking like Jesus wherever you are wherever you go so guess what when it comes to what job to take or what city to move to The answer to those questions lies in what God is already trying to accomplish inside of your heart. Ask yourself, which direction is compatible with what God is doing in me? If you're dating someone who's leading you into continual sin, guess what? Not God's will. You didn't like that, huh? Right, if you're considering a new career that takes your, gives you more money but distances you from discipleship, guess what? Probably not God's will. Maybe not probably, not God's will. I know this sounds radical, right? <laughs> Phil, this is radical. Tell me what to do with my life. That's like the American motto, right? Especially in our American Christianity. But remember, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And maybe that's why we make it too mystical and too shallow because we really know what it is. The will of the Lord. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Finally, Mark number four. Evidence that the spirit of God is living inside of you is a deep familial love for God and his people. Before I get deeper into this, Mark, I just want to say this. Am I growing in love with God? 
The answer is yes. And the next question is, am I also growing in love with his church? Because you can't separate the two. You can't. As you grow in love with God, you grow in love with his people. Even though his people may get on your nerves, and we do, but there's, there's just a familial love that begins to well up inside. The Holy Spirit causes you to love the imperfect church that God is making perfect, that Christ is made perfect in his sacrifice, and that we are being sanctified and becoming what he has already given to us. I'm going to have the team move forward. Finally, evidence that the Spirit of God is living inside. He's a deep familial love for God. You ready? That produces a sincere response of worship. A love for God that produces a response of worship. Amen? Amen. Let me explain this. And we started off with this this morning. Most major religions are based on slavery and not sonship. Are you with me? Only the spirit of God can cause you to cry out, Abba. Abba means Papa. It means that it's, a, it's an intimate understanding of God as a loving dad. You see, but most religions in the world is based on slavery and not sonship. Now watch. So in order to receive God's favor in most religions, one must perform works to please God. God then becomes master and not father, and we become slaves and not sons. As a result, and here's the big deal, love is not the motivating factor behind their worship, but fear is. Fear of failing God, fear of being rejected by God, fear of being abandoned by God, always working and never knowing, is this enough? But when one understands the gospel... When you begin to understand the beauty of the gospel, one sees the love of the Father demonstrated through the sacrifice, the laying down of the life of the Son. One sees that, one looks at it. And then we are empowered by the Spirit. And as a result, we can't help but joyfully lay down our lives in response. So beautiful. So beautiful because we can turn our Christianity into a bunch of works. And can I just say this? Some of you don't even perform for God in church. You perform for man. It's all about trying to get on the radar of the leadership, trying to perform for this person and that. Even right now as I'm preaching, well, I wonder if Phil thinks I'm serving or not. Right? We just got it all wrong. Like, no, I mean, it's not about performing for man. It's not about performing for somebody chasing after an affection. It's God. It's not about performing. It's responding. There's a difference. When I perform, I'm trying to get attention. When I respond, I've already been given it all. That's what it is. Why do I come to church every Sunday? It's not a performance. It's not because I want God to give me something. It's because he's already given me everything. Why do I get in my word? Why do I wake up early when I, and pray when I have a million things to do? It's not because I want God to give me something. It's because God has already given me everything. He's worthy of it. Why do I inconvenience myself? How about this? Why do I say no to some things that my heart really wants? so hard for me to let go of this it's an idol in my life but yet i turn away from it because that idol only wants to enslave me and i turn to christ the one who's loved me and given his life for me why why the motivation is the gospel 
We, we exist to inspire gospel-centered discipleship. That's what this church is about. Gospel centrality. Everything that I do is not for something, but from something. And so when I sin, I get back up, right? I get back up. Why do I get back up? Because I'm already in the family of God. Because he's loved me unconditionally. I was a mess. I was a wreck. And he died. I respond. I respond. And so my commitment is a response. My worship is a response. My evangelism is a response. It's not because I'm trying to earn. Because I'm afraid. It's because I'm loved. And so the spirit of God inside of us causes us to understand this. And as long as you're in our church, you're going to hear it here on Sunday. And you're going to hear it again in Connects. And if you're in our leadership and poor, poor captains and, and, and leads and coaches in this room, like we're always hitting you. It's like, okay, we got it. But we always need to remind ourselves, why? Why am I doing this? Because I could so easily get caught up in performance. Amen. I'm going to finish with this. We're going to sing, and then we're going to come together. I'm going to read you the questions this week for our connects, and then we'll dismiss. But finally, verse 17, I think there's so many things. Even verse 17, I could stay at probably another three weeks just on verse 17 alone. But the one thing, God, if you're sons of God, if you're children of God, then you are heirs. You know what an heir is, right? An heir is you're an inheritance. There's something coming to you, Right? You're an heir. And I love this. He doesn't just say you're an heir, but he says you're a fellow heir with Christ. That's heavy. You want to know why that's heavy? Because everything that belongs to him belongs to you. Right? That the father would give to you, a sinner, undeserving, everything that he would give to his son, Jesus, who is perfect, who is holy, who is righteous. He's given it all. We're fellow heirs. Fellow heirs. All God has for Jesus is all he has for you. By faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. He's worthy. Let's worship. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to get ready to dismiss. But before we do that, I want to share with you the questions this week that we'll be discussing in Connects. But before we get there, can I just apply the medicine of the gospel right now? Because I understand the word could cut. And there's a temptation to leave here and start looking at your life and what you're not doing. And even though I, I, there was a lot of do's I gave, right? I just went off on tangents about what are you doing? What are you doing? But I want you to know that in itself is a way to destroy yourself. I, I want to use those examples, but those things, look, that's not the main thing. Like the thing is to leave here now, okay, well, I got to go serve in a ministry. Like that's, if, I, if that's what's coming out of this, please know that that's not my heart. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to fall in love with who Jesus is and then let the Spirit lead you. Don't let the pastor just tell you what you need. Let the Spirit of God lead you, but he's going to lead you in discipleship. He's going to lead you, lead you into holiness, lead you into a mortification of sin, right? And so there's, we just have this, we want to go to externals and behaviors right away, but that's not the case. Like, let God do an inner work. And if he's doing an inner work in you, then whatever comes on the outside is the result of what he's doing on the inside. And so, again, I want to apply the balm of the gospel over the wound, you know, that the Bible can make or that I even could create when I'm giving you examples let Jesus and your love for him lead you and guide you. This is not about going out and just being a better Christian. So I got to do all this list of things. 
This is about looking at him. Amen? And so let him love you. He's so good, isn't he? He's so good. Like he just knows how to just maybe just call us and challenge us and then let, remind us, look, this is my love propelling you. Man, and so this week as we gather together in circles, there's actually quite a few questions and our circles get so deep, you'll probably only get to the first question. Um, but there are four questions that we want to ask this week. And the first one is off of conviction and just says, do I regularly experience godly sorrow over sin? And so what we're doing is we're going to identify and discuss the presence of condemnation and conviction in our own lives. How can we tell the difference between that? The second thing is illumination. Am I passionate about the word of God? And I, we're just going to recall a time when God spoke to you clearly through his scriptures. What did he say and how did it transform you? Number three, sanctification. Do I have a plan in place for the continual mortification of sin? What does discipleship currently look like in your life? Where are you strong and where are maybe some areas that you need help? And finally, number four, familial love. Does love motivate me to gladly lay down my life? Give examples of times in your life when you were motivated by the gospel or motivated by the flesh. How did that feel and how did it affect you? So we're going to have deep conversations. You're all invited to come to a connect this week. You can go to the website and find out where we're meeting, different times, different days of the week in different cities. Um, but I'm just so excited that we can come together and go deeper in the word of God. It's so full of treasure and joy and so full of just beautiful things that transform our hearts. So Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for Inspire. Lord, I thank you for the gospel-centered churches all over the Bay Area right now. God, you're doing something in the Bay Area. You're doing something great and beyond that. But I just lift up every church in the bay that is just declaring the name of Jesus, making the gospel clear, that's calling their people to lay down their lives, not out of legalism, but out of love. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to move in this congregation as we grow, uh, Lord, from a, from a baby to a toddler. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to be with everyone in this room. I pray that the sword of the word would cut but that the, the the medicine the bomb of the gospel would come over that hover over that cut and bring and minister healing lord so we just thank you we love you and we praise you in your name we pray amen and amen and have a wonderful sunday enjoy lunch if it's your first time here we would love to see you at the welcome booth we have a gift for you so please come see us god bless you Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.